Hello and welcome to another edition of Recruiting and Hospitality from Catra.com. As ever, I'm Lancelot Narayan and in each programme we invite top guests from this wonderful industry called hospitality to discuss issues affecting you, hospitality employers. We talk about recruitment, obviously, retention, development and other matters that affect you and your brilliant teams. Thanks for joining us again. Um, Lorraine Copes has been working in the hospitality industry for nearly two decades. Um, if you're watching the video version of this episode, you're not going to believe that for a moment. But um, she's a senior procurement leader. Uh, she's worked with all the big names. She's worked with Gordon Ramsay restaurants, uh, Corbin and King, all the big ones. Um, in 2019, Lorraine founded Be Inclusive Hospitality um, and the mission of this organisation is to advance racial equality in hospitality in the food and drink sector. Now, Cater.com is extremely proud to be sponsoring uh, Be Inclusive Hospitality's new Inside Hospitality survey. Which, uh, which the results will be published later this year. They will. And to talk about this, to talk about the uh, Elevate Mentorship Scheme and uh, Lorraine's career, I have with me the woman herself. It's Lorraine Coates. Say hello. Hello. Hi, Lance. Thanks for joining me today, Lorraine. No it's problem. really great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's start at the beginning, shall we? Where did it all begin for you? How did you, how did you make your start in hospitality? Um, I made my start in hospitality in the pub industry, actually. Um, so my first job out of university was working for a joint venture between Punch Pub Company and the Spirit Group, who are now Green King. It was a procurement and supply chain um, business, and I was responsible for forecasting and analysing um, and managing bespoke stock going into our distributors. And it was at that point um, that I recognised, realised that it was possible to work within hospitality, eat food and drink for free without being a chef. And I love food. I've always been a real big foodie. Um, you know, culturally growing up, food has always played a really important part within my family. And so... Where's your family from, Lorraine? Jamaica. Okay. Yeah, Jamaica, my family's so. from Guyana. Oh, really? So, so likewise. Yes, big yeah. part of family. And so... Yeah, I've always been in love with food. So this was an opportunity to work with food, albeit forecasting, analysing. Um, and it was in that role that I worked really closely with the buyers and realised that I wanted to move towards a buying function as opposed to stay solely within supply chain. So that's where it all began. Right. OK. So did that happen for you quickly? It did. Steadily? It did. It so the business disbanded and um, I direct approached actually Elior Contract Caterer uh, for a role as a buyer and they created a role for me. Um, at that time they had um, purchasing assistants, they had purchasing manager and they had a procurement director, but they didn't have anyone that could grow and develop into the role of purchasing manager. And so I took on a role there as food buyer. Um, which I was there for almost two years. Great experience as far as understanding the impact and the importance of influencing relationships, bringing people on the journey. And that was really the beginning of my career in the buying side of things. Well, okay. So at that time, what was the landscape like for ethnic minorities within 
within hospitality, within that whole yeah. industry? I mean, to be honest with you, sad story is that the past 20 years of my career, I don't think the landscape has changed um, significantly. So to paint a picture um, and, and jumping a, a few steps ahead. So after joining Elio Contract Caterer, I moved out of the industry for a year and a half, then back to the Spirit Group as a purchasing manager. What did you do and, in the year and a half? Um, so I was senior buyer um, outside of the industry, though, so working for an automation and control business. Um, and so what, what's been a consistent theme um, throughout my career is just a real stark lack of diversity, ethnic diversity with any roles especially within head office and leadership roles especially and so you know when I think back to my time at the spirit group I don't think there was another black person in the department of uh we were procurement and food development so maybe a team of 30 plus I think there were probably two or three black people in the entire purpose-built building which was three floors high you know I guess the point I'm making is 20 years ago versus today it hasn't moved forward significantly, um, notably, which is is why the inclusive hospitality in a way was born. Okay, um, so all right, let's let's go. Let's let's start. Okay, was that the seeds of being inclusive hospitality? How did it actually come about? What was the actual catalyst for it? Yes, you know what? It's been it's been a journey of often being in spaces where I'm the only black person or person of colour in any room, which actually, when I think about how my career progressed, I was fortunate enough to, to move forward and upwards as I intended. But when I think about in reflection, the amount of times I felt uncomfortable, I felt like I don't belong. Um, I have felt as though the business does not recognise and reward fairly. You know, this has been experiences that I've carried with me forward over the past 20 years. However, up until 2018, my priority and focus was moving my career forwards and upwards. And that's what I did. What I did whilst doing that was I was a you know mentor and coach to a number of, especially women of colour in the industry, to help them move forward also. Was and that then, in an official capacity? Were you it wasn't, no. It was just no, it wasn't. something you... Yeah, and this was sometimes people within my immediate team, some people within other departments that gravitated towards me because I was a black woman in a senior position, which was a rarity. And um, and so that happened. And then in 2018, at the end of 2018, I left the Gordon Ramsay Group. I took some time out. And for the first time in my working career, I had time to be still and really think about what I wanted for the future. Now, I enjoy procurement, but I felt really compelled to create something that would support change within the industry because my experience is one person being a commercial leader and data driven when forming opinions I always look for insights or data to support what I believe to be the facts and just through being being around other people like me similar backgrounds their experiences have been very very similar it just really was a push for me to to step up and do something about the problem that I could visibly see. Right. Okay. So so tell me about the goals. What are the main um, aims of yeah. being inclusive hospitality? Yeah. Yeah. And so, just in terms of our mission, 
our mission is to accelerate race equality within the hospitality sector. And it's something that I thought long and hard about before we actually incorporated as a social enterprise, because often with initiatives like mine, you have really big numbers attached in terms of we want to positively affect 6 million people in the next 10 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the reality of the fact and the problem that we're dealing with is this. What we are working towards undoing is a problem that has existed for hundreds of years within this country. What, what we aim to do, and I can tell you by way of the pillars that we've developed, is build a community that accelerates change within the industry. And so the three key pillars of the organisation is accelerators, so learning and development. So being able to support people of colour, whether you're an employee or entrepreneur, to move forwards or upwards within your career. And this will be made up of uh, initiatives like mentorship, of which uh, Cato.com are also a sponsor and partner on that, um, career accelerators, workshops, anything that encourages learning from a technical perspective or um, from a, uh, I say soft, I hate using that word actually, but in terms of um, the, the softer skills um, that will help people to move forward. Second to that, we have a diversity and inclusion consultancy. So we work with a lot of SMEs who are keen to advance change and we provide them with resources, workshops, consultancy advisory to help them move forward. Um, and then what underpins all of this is research and insight. So we currently have the Inside Hospitality Survey, which is currently live. And the reason why the Inside Hospitality Survey was born was off the back of June 20, the murder of George Floyd. What we witnessed was an awful lot of businesses reacting, reacting to a problem that exists, looking for short-term gains without actually understanding what is going on within the hospitality industry. And so Inside Hospitality is designed to continuously and consistently take a temperature check of where we are. And by where we are, I mean the experiences and views of all people within the sector, but with a real focus on career progression, racism in the industry, education within the wider sector around race and ethnicity and inclusion. And so um, I guess the common thread that sits between all of the key pillars of the business is events. I believe that events are a really great way to bring people together. It brings our communities together. It brings our partners together. And I also think that education through narrative is powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're going to touch on a couple of, 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 okay. of those um, parts of your work with being inclusive. But let's, I want to talk about the, um, first of all, the um, Inside Hospitality Survey, which, as you said, is currently ongoing um, and hopefully we'll, we'll no, not hopefully we will we'll get the results later, later in you the will. year um can you go into a bit more detail about what it what it aims to discover and how that information yeah. that you gather from all these this vast range of people how that yeah. information is used yeah sure um i'll start by saying again um back in june july of 2020 an awful lot of organizations reached out to us and actually that continues to today with the same question where do we start and my response to that, irrespective of the size of the business, is you start with data, start with understanding your culture and understanding what the problems are that potentially exist and the barriers for people of colour within your industry, within your organisations. And so the Inside Hospitality Survey 
is created to bring about insights that then inform action. And I often say this because just to give you an example of some insight from the report that was produced um, last year. Yeah. One of the, the, the really startling unfortunate results was that over 50% of all ethnic minorities, irrespective of your background, have experienced racism within the workplace, either on a personal level, so from a peer, or a company level, so from a senior. Now, as an organisation leader, what do you do with that information that racism is being experienced within your organisation? Well, there's a few things. There's zero tolerance policies that really should be put in place within all organisations. There should also be reporting, clear reporting lines for those that experience racism in the workplace, because another one of the key findings from the survey was if someone does experience racism in the workplace, they're most likely to report it to a friend or someone external to the business, which means that there's not confidence necessarily there to report it to a senior or to HR. So what mechanism can you put in place to ensure that if people are uh, experiencing racism in the workplace, that they can report it? Because not until you know that there's a problem, can you address it? And that is just really a simple example of how we ask questions and then line them to action. And throughout the entire report, all the questions are, are, are asked with solutions in mind. So this is the problem. How do we address it? Right. OK, again, we're going to come back to action uh, okay. a, little, a little later on. Yeah. Um, another big part of what you do is the Elevate Mentorship Scheme. It is. Tell us about that, because I, I I remember um, if it was last year, I sat in on the, the, the meet and greet, but you had we had to do it online, um, which I found fascinating. Can you tell us about that? Because yeah. you, you said earlier, you know, you've done some mentoring in, in an unofficial uh, capacity. Yeah. Um, so That's why is it important and what, how does it help the people who are involved in it? Yeah, sure. I'll start by saying, actually, really importantly, that mentorship is one of the key initiatives that I believe are really important in driving change, but it's not the only, and mentorship on its own doesn't work. However, what I would say is that I have personally been fortunate to have amazing mentors throughout my career that have advised and guided my decisions um, on the steps of my career. So I recognise the value from a personal experience. But if you want, sorry, Lorraine, I've, from a personal, who? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll I tell you about that, that influenced you. One, one in particular. Oh, I had two actually that really stand out. One um, was someone that became a friend um, named Sharon, and I worked with her for my first job. She was a senior buyer, and then when I went back to the Spirit Group, we were peers, so we were both purchasing managers together. And she was ten years my senior, and she was just brilliant. I admired her so much because often in procurement. Um, there's a picture painted that you have to be aggressive and rude to get a result. And, and that's what a, a negotiation and being a tough buyer is about. And what Sharon lived and breathed was that she was a really lovely person, but she was a hard negotiation. She was firm and fair. And I just learned a huge amount from her, not only working alongside her, but she would also teach me a lot about what she heard, you know, the journey that she'd gone on as a woman within the procurement arena in actually a really male dominated profession and industry. And she was just, yeah, she was just fantastic. And then second to that, um, a chap called Alex Page Drury. And he is, he, he was just a phenomenal, phenomenal leader that I really admired. 
he had real presence, um, but really authentic guy who was just really brilliant about his work, a great leader. And he's the one that actually encouraged me to step up from being a purchasing manager to a head of. And he could obviously see me what I couldn't see in myself at that time. Um, and he was just a fantastic guy, stayed in touch with him long after uh, leaving TGI Fridays and um, have intermittently been in touch with him now. He's now retired, but um, just two brilliant people that have been able to offer me, in a way, shortcuts um, around certain aspects of my career um, and giving me insight because they were significantly more experienced. Is this, are these elements that you want to bring to the Elevate, elevate Mentorship Scheme? Oh, for sure, for sure. And just to um, give you some of the key stats from the 2021 Please, Elevate yeah. Mentorship Scheme. So it was only a cohort of 23 people. And um, of those 23 people, you know, 30% have gone on to secure new jobs whilst on the scheme, 10% access promotions. There's a number of the mentees and mentors that have fed back that they are now friends with their mentor, which is lovely. Um, it was 138 mentoring hours. For those that have actually went on the scheme and just sort of re-reviewing all of the feedback, it's reinforced the power of mentorship, which is a helping hand, someone to support your journey, someone that you can bounce ideas off, someone that has walked the path that you want to walk, but that can offer you advice and insights so that you don't make the same missteps perhaps that they did. But I think really importantly, it's someone supporting you on your journey and not to follow theirs. And one of our mentors, Ben Chapman, who's a co-founder of Super 8 Restaurants, he's in his testimonial, he said something to that effect that, you know, it's phenomenal to be able to support someone on their journey and not on yours. And, and that ultimately is, is what a great mentor is. So this year we've got 45 phenomenal mentors. 45? Yeah, 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 right, we have. Right. And every year we intend to double the amount of places that we can offer on the scheme. Right. Wow, 45. So, you're, so each year you're going to double up? Oh, absolutely. And I say 45 right. is the minimum because we right. still do have a lot of people getting in touch, volunteering, putting themselves forward to join as mentors. So... Um, I say 45 on our independent scheme. We're also running another scheme adjacent to Elevate, which is in partnership with Uber Eats and Enterprise Nation. And this is for black restaurant owners only. So that's 10 founders of restaurants that will be paired or matched with uh, industry leaders on a mentorship scheme as well. So 55 wow. in total, actually. When, yeah. when did you start this? Um, so, that's due to start actually in March. Is there any more you can tell us about it? Um, yes, I can actually. So basically, um, Uber Eats um, had put forward a £50,000 black business fund to support black restaurateurs, because I think the really important thing to recognise with the industry is whilst we as a community represent, you know, minoritised groups as a collective, there are different challenges that faced many of the groups within that. And from a black restaurateur perspective, especially someone that grew up with Caribbean food, is a huge fan of any food from the diaspora, there's common threads. If you look at the hospitality landscape, there's a real stark absence of black owned restaurants and cuisines that are recognized in the same way. 
And so Uber also recognised that and they did that through a focus group, which we also worked with them on. So they did the work in terms of understanding the challenges and barriers. Um, and they put this fund in place where 10 restaurant owners were able to apply for a £5,000 grant fund, mentorship to be supplied by ourselves and um, further support to be supplied by Enterprise Nation. Over 300 people applied for this. Only 10 um, got through. Wow. And we're on the going through the onboarding process now for those 10 businesses that were successful. And they are going to be paired with amazing, phenomenal leaders across the sector, some of which are from my Be Inclusive Hospitality Network. So restaurateurs that have been there and done that and grown multi-site operations that will be mentoring them for a six-month period. That's fantastic. That's that's really great. Brilliant. Brilliant. And I hope we can sort of do catch-ups with you, find out how it's all going on. Yeah, that'll, definitely. That'll be, that'll definitely. Definitely. I want to go back to something you, you talked about earlier, and I would like to quote um, yes. Nana Foster, who yeah. is your um, diversity and inclusion lead at yeah. Be Inclusive Hospitality. And Nana said, um, paying lip service to the work of inclusion isn't going to achieve change. Inclusion is ultimately about individuals, irrespective of skin colour, sexuality, gender or ability, having a place at the table and experiencing a sense of belonging. This is not a short term project, nor is it easy work. Neither is it something that can be handed over to a committee or solved by a single workshop, mm. but work for everyone to undertake continuously. Yeah. And those in positions of power and with the authority to help facilitate change and are politically uh, particularly vital. Now, I mean, earlier this week, I was talking about this. Like, it's, it's all well and good saying, you know, hospitality is a great place to work. But are you telling people this? Mm. Now, likewise, how mm. do hospitality employers in this country, how does the industry as a whole bring about change? Not, not even, <coughs> not even, oh, bless you. Not even long term, but forever. How do they actually do this? Mm -hmm. I think, and I, I often go back to the numbers, but um, I think in order to bring about change, you really need to understand where you are. And you, you said earlier that the hospitality sector is a great place to work, but broadly, do we understand what the experience of hospitality is for all of the individual groups that work within it? And that has to be the starting point. It absolutely does, because whether on an individual basis or as a company leader, business leader, we all have the ability to influence change. And so you have to understand where you are here and now in order to actually put a strategy in place to bring about change. And I think that's a it's the single most important step that any business or any individual can take. And there's an education piece to be done here, too, because whether, whether implicit, um, whether unconscious, bias exists and is real. However, the good news is it can be unlearned, but you've got to be willing to confront where we are here and now. And so the other thing I will add to that is many businesses are often looking for 
a 10-step process on how to bring about change. But actually, the journey of bringing about change is unique to the organisation, dependent on your starting point. And so I feel like in ways I haven't really answered your question, but it has to start with understanding where you are here and here and now. And it has to start with education. Those two things are key before doing anything at all. I think, you know what, what I'll just add to that, though, I know the sector very well, very, very well. And we also all recognise that running a business is a continual balance and juggling of multiple priorities. So I sit here, you know, advocating for change, not ignoring some of the challenges that the industry face. However, running successful business is about juggling priorities. It absolutely is. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. You're right. Yeah. And yeah. you know, one one final thing I want to add on that point is I really do think there needs to be some real reflection of leaders in the industry about the approaches taken to advance change for gender equality and why they must differ significantly from race. And I ask that question because I know very, very I know many businesses that have taken huge leaps and bounds on gender equality. Don't get me wrong, there's still a huge uh, path ahead of us to, to move forward on that. But to give you an example, the past two companies that I've worked for have been a gender split 50-50, and that's been very intentional. It hadn't it hasn't happened by accident. So I think we also need to take some of the learnings of where we've been able to bring about change within the industry for other groups. Is, is gender equality uh, moving forward going to be a focus for Be Inclusive? Um, well, we, we intersectionally focus. So gender equality in terms of women of colour, for sure. Um, but in terms of us broadening our bandwidth to, to, to kind of cover every, um, you know, every, every group, intersectional group, then or every group within, you know, whether that's LGBT, obviously there are people of colour that are LGBTQ, um, but um, what we were not intending to, to become is a, a specialist in, in absolutely everything within, within the realms of DE&I. But there are learnings to be taken. There absolutely are. That can be applied to... Absolutely, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, it's, it seems to me like you're, with every... Yeah, your sphere of influence is getting wider, and that can—that's a good thing. I'll say that—that—that's a great thing. So, moving forward, what's next for being inclusive hospitality? What are your plans moving on? Yeah, um, we we are keen to absolutely expand and do more of the same. So, to give you an example, from a, a DE and I perspective, to date, we have delivered workshops and educated over 500 leaders across the sector. We want to quadruple that because ultimately, I think education is a really important part of this step change. We want to be able to deliver more accelerator schemes. And for that, we're really reliant on grant funding and donations. So we want to really encourage businesses to get involved in any which way that they can. Um, something that we're going to launch this summer is we're going to launch our own awards. And the reason for that is because time and time again, I see lists emerge, I see awards ceremonies emerge, 
And there are a huge amount of extremely successful individuals that are within this industry, both businesses and individuals, and they'll never see recognition within their lifetime if, if, if we don't stand up. I think that sector, that, that the pace of the rest of the industry catching up, we're not willing to wait on in order to recognize the people that are doing phenomenal things. And there are some businesses that are doing phenomenal things, but they're very rarely recognized by the big awards that exist within the sector at the moment. So we're going to create one that does. Do you want to name names? Um, you know what? You only need to you only need to Google. You only <laughs> need to Google every hospitality award and count how many people of colour. Firstly, are on the judging panels, which is really important part, but also a nominated or win. And it's really disappointing because I believe, so for instance, there's some really exciting restaurants that have opened within the West African space in particular. Uh, my absolute favourite is Chisaru in Brixton. And it's disheartening to think that as a restaurant owner that you can do phenomenal things, receive amazing reviews from not only phenomenal chefs within the industry, but, um, you know, national press. And throughout your career, if, if things are as they were the past 20 years, you might not actually recognise any industry success for your greatness. Yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about. I understand that. I've yeah. seen it myself. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. and don't get me wrong, um, you know, with 13 or 14 um, categories, not everyone's a winner. <laughs> But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there's a spotlight shone on talent that yeah. may have not been visible to date. And, and for that alone, it's, it's going to be worth its weight in gold. So in, in answer to your question, more of the same, just bigger and better, more collaboration, more partnerships, recognising individuals and businesses for excellence, Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Lorraine, thank you so much for, for joining me today. It's been it's been great. We look forward to um, the report from the latest survey, which is coming out soon. Um, and I hope we can talk again. Yes, for sure. Definitely. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you for joining uh, me and uh, thank you again to Lorraine Copes for, for, for being my guest today. Um, if you're if you're the first time listener or watcher of the programme, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Podbean, Spotify. Um, where else are we on? iTunes, wherever you get your podcast, just subscribe, hit that subscribe button. Um, you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, which is caterer.com, which is caterer, D-O-T-C-O-M, likewise on Instagram. Um, follow us on LinkedIn. Um, and we're on Facebook as well. So just get involved. Tell us what you think of the programme. And, um, and I hope you can join us next time on Recruiting and Hospitality from caterer.com. I'm Lance Otner-Ryan. Thanks so much again to Lorraine, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.